One debate, two debates, five debates, seven debates, they all seem possible in this period of political chicken as the networks and others negotiate with the parties over what will happen in this fall's campaign. What's the strategy in all this? And at the same time, we all know there will be some kind of debate in the end, so how do you get ready? Kathleen Monk is in Ottawa tonight. David Hurley and Jamie Watt are here in Toronto. David, you start us off with a kind of history of debates. What's the thinking been in the past? This time's totally different, it seems, but in the past. Yeah, it's been sort of a non-discussion, uh, non-negotiable item for about 30 years now that there's going to be debates in the election and they're going to be held, uh, organized by the networks, in fact, so much so that they've been known as the TV debates. In campaigns, normally there's been two of them, although in 2005, 2006, because of the length of that campaign and over Christmas, there were four of them. But this is the first time that a party has said, actually, the debate system as it's worked for 30 years doesn't actually suit our partisan interests, so we're going to blow that up and try to explore something different. So we're in quite uncharted territory, basically since 1980 or earlier. Now, all parties, and Kathleen, you help us out on this one, all parties go into these things saying, look, we're, we're doing this because we want the public to, to have a, hear a good debate on public policy issues. But really, there's a lot of strategy going into these things, depending on where they see themselves positioned going into debates, right? Well, there is a lot of strategy that goes into it. Um, you know that not every Canadian watches the televised debates, but they do end up hearing a lot of the coverage of the debates. And so it is important for political staff, political insiders, to try to set the ground rules when they go into debate negotiations. That's what you're trying to do. Um, you know, what will the format be like? Will there be questions from Canadians? Will the leaders be standing? How many people will participate? So these are the things that traditionally um, have gone into the negotiations. But I just, just disagree with my colleague a little bit David, that um, there's been a tradition that's set, but certainly it's been a bit of a wild, wild west in terms of how the debates are set up. And I don't think it's a simple calculation that, um, that more debates necessarily are a bad thing. They could be actually a really good thing, so Canadians can get hear more from our leaders and hear more from what they have to say. But I'm still trying to get, Jamie, at the, the motivation behind the parties when they sit down in these negotiations. What are the, what's really going on there? Well, I think it's pretty pretty obvious, and we're skating around the obvious. Everybody's looking for an advantage for themselves. I think what's different this time is that, as David said, in the past, it was sort of a non-negotiable thing. You try to do your best and negotiate the best format within a set of rules set by the consortium. This time, the Conservatives have said, no, we're, we're going to play by different rules, and we're going to entertain... Uh, we're going to entertain uh, proposals from other people. I mean, it, the Conservatives in Canada aren't the only ones doing that. David Cameron did that in the mm -hmm. last UK election. Benjamin Netanyahu did it in uh, where they the Israeli the elections. Where they, they, they ducked the debate. One, one particular debate. Exactly. And so I think what we're seeing is Canadians are consuming media differently. And so uh, people are looking at different stru debate strategies. I think what's interesting in this is it looks like you've got two candidates who, at least, who are quite willing to have as significant number of debates where you've got one candidate who would like to have fewer debates and that's what they're going to try and have to work but out. But that, that strategy going in, in terms of where they think they see themselves positioned, governs a lot of what they argue for at the table, right, David? Well, you know, a good example would be we're talking about the format negotiations, right? So if you have a candidate, let's take this right out of the Canadian context that we don't have an argument about it, but if you, if you take, uh, for instance, 1992 between George Bush uh, Sr. and Bill Clinton. Um, you might, <clears throat> in the format, if you have a very populist, common touch 
uh, candidate, you'll want an audience interactive format. You'll want questions from the audience so that they can show off that ability to mix and mingle with the average person and relate to the average person. Mr. Bush couldn't do that very well, and that debate, that format really hurt him. Uh, there was a very symbolic moment where he was seen to be checking his watch as if he couldn't wait for the debate mm -hmm. to be over. On the other hand, if you think that your candidate is the master of the issues, the person that really knows the detail, you might want a debate that doesn't have any populist interaction but really allows you to get interactive with the leaders and try to pin somebody else down. So you are looking for how do you construct this in a way that will best help your leader. Uh, but I think what, what, uh, what we're looking at now is a very, different type of, a very different type of format where, as Jamie says, we're going to have to have a lot of different media uh, projecting these other debates if they were to get up to the 14, 15 million people that traditionally watch the televised debates. But well, Peter, the thing that you've got to be watch yeah. very carefully is, is David's quite right. You want a, 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 an approach and rules that favor your candidate. But it's not just about what's good for your candidate. It's about what the zeitgeist of the election is about as well. Right? Mm -hmm. It's about what's taking place generally as well. So you can become so narrowly focused on a format that suits your candidate that you miss what's going on. And you end up putting it in an artificial environment, which actually blows up in your face. All right, Kathleen, tie the knot for me on, on debates in the sense that, you know, formats aside, negotiations aside, you've got to prep your leader. And one assumes, we heard, in fact, just in the last week or so, that uh, the Liberals, at least, are already in, in, in some kind of debate rehearsals. I assume the other parties are, too. What happens in that room? How do you rehearse a debate? Well, I think you're right that debates happen all sorts of ways in the House of Commons, you know, in scrums, uh, you know, between the leaders all the time. Um, but how you actually prepare during an election period is uh, what we did, for instance, in previous campaigns, is we would pull the leader off, uh, typically on the election on the weekend changeover when reporters hop on or hop off the plane and spend a few hours in a very drab, uh, boring hotel um, and role-playing. So, um, for instance, in the 2008 election, I, I got to play the role of Steve Pakin for instance, being uh, uh, playing the role of host. And we would test the leader, throw, uh, have people playing the various other roles. So, uh, you know, whether it was Dion at the time or Ignatieff later on or Mr. Harper in both cases, to throw questions and try to simulate what the debate would look like. Um, we also give the leader tools. I mean, I brought a prop here today. I mean, this is what a typical, I don't know if you can see this, mm -hmm. but this is what a typical um, cue card might look like that a leader would bring into debates. Um, you, there's rules around this as well. In addition to the rules that my colleagues David and Jamie mentioned around format, what the debate looks like, there's also rules about what you can and cannot bring in uh, to the debate evening. And uh, typically it's cue cards. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to quickly change topics because we're running out of time. I want to talk about TV ads. And the reason I want to do that is uh, more and more Canadians are going to see pre-election ads, both on television and online, over these next few weeks, especially during the final round of the uh, hockey playoffs. All parties are into this now. Here's a quick sense of some of their new ads just come out in the last 24 hours or so. Our plan will give middle-class families the Canada Child Benefit, $2,500 more per year tax-free than they get now. I was raised on middle-class values, and I'll work to strengthen the middle class. Together, we can bring change in Ottawa. I invite you to be part of it. Being prime minister is not an entry-level job. I'm not saying no forever, but not now. Nice hair, though. Something rang uh, similar to for uh, Kathleen when she saw that last ad from the Conservatives, obviously about the Liberals, and this is what it was. Watch this. 
Ms. McFadden wouldn't be working for us. And the wrong guy could cause a lot of harm. It's too big a risk. My suit, though. All right, that was from the last uh, Manitoba election campaign uh, where the uh, NDP had an ad about the conservative leader. Very similar to what we're seeing now from the conservatives about the liberal leader. And very similar, it appears to be, from the collection of goodies that uh, parties, not only in this country but other countries, use in, in their campaigning. Do these actually work? And the reason I asked, Jamie, is I saw... Uh, a, a poll that Evan Solomon did in his, with his viewers on uh, power and politics earlier today was that 95% of those respondents said, oh, we don't, we don't make right. our decisions on ads. Right. But that, of course, mm -hmm. is the wrong question to ask, with all due respect to, uh, <laughs> to Evan. He should have asked, what was the message you took away from the ad? Because everyone says they're too smart to be influenced by ads. But we know if you ask them what the, what the main message was and what they took away, it's a very different story. I mean, you, you compared two ads that were very similar, but we could find you lots of ads that were very similar to the other two that you played tonight. Mm -hmm. And that's because ad people and ad campaign advertising people are always at loggerheads with each other. Ad people want to make beautiful ads. They want to win awards. They think production values matter. Good lighting for a better Canada. But it's what actually matters is getting the message through. And that's why you see so many ads that are saying cliches work. Mm -hmm. We like cliches because they save a lot of time. Okay, only got a minute left. Quickly, David. Uh, ads work, and uh, some ads work, some ads don't work, and the difference between winning and losing is generally whether your ads worked or didn't. They're hugely important. They're the single biggest spending item uh, in any campaign budget. And uh, I think that uh, that's the reason why we're seeing parties roll them out now when there's no spending limit, because as many times as you can get that message across, the better off you're going to be. Kathleen? I agree with both of my colleagues. The mo now with the fixed election date of October 19th, this is the time that the parties are fighting to precondition that electorate to get them already on side in advance of the writ drop. You're going to see a lot of ads coming at you, a lot of money being spent. All right. Good discussion. We'll have many more in the uh, weeks, months ahead. Kathleen, uh, Mike is in Ottawa. David? Hurley and Jamie Watt here in Toronto.